So there are two primary features of the homestead exemption. The first is that it can help prevent the forced sale of your primary residence when you come into the demands of your creditors. The other feature is that it provides an exemption from the property taxes that you pay on your home in your state. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson. And on this episode, we have another listener's question. So let's listen to his questions now. Hey, David and Leo, this is Jordan from Fort Worth. As a new homeowner, could you explain the homestead exemption, property taxes, and provide any other tips regarding homeownership? Thanks. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for your call and for giving us this question. Uh, I absolutely love where you're going with this because the homestead exemption is something that you probably have never thought of until you purchase a home. Right. And then you get this paperwork, usually from your realtor or from the title company or you know, somebody that's reaching out and saying, hey, do you want to apply for this? And you ask the question, I don't know, do I want to apply for it? <laughs> you know, what does this mean to me? And and even the word homestead, that's not a word that we use very often anymore. Right. I, I can't tell you that I've used it in a sentence <laughs> other than talking about this exact subject. I've not said, oh, come over to my homestead, Leo. Do you want mm. to come hang out at the old homestead? Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of an antiquated word, but it literally just means the place where you reside. It's mm-hmm. your home. So uh, nowadays, you'll see a lot of people that will own two, three, four, five properties Uh, Their primary residence is where they live. It's their homestead, but they may have an investment property that's in another city, in another state. They may have a second home in a vacation location where they want to go vacation. That's not their homestead. They own it. They are the owner, but it is not where they reside. So just the word itself, homestead, it is the place of your residence for legal purposes. Now, the government, when they look at you as an individual and where you live, uh, somebody along the line said, we want to provide a little bit of protection for the homeowners in their residences in case something bad happens to them. We want them to have at least a place to live. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let me break this down a little bit. Uh, But imagine that you go through something unexpected, tragic, and financially difficult in your life, and all of a sudden, uh, a lot of your resources have been depleted. Mm-hmm. Well, the state wants to provide you with a little bit of protection for your home so that at least you don't end up on the street. Because right. if you end up on the street, now the state has to take care <laughs> That's of you. Right. And so they have provided some legal protections, which eventually add costs to businesses and uh, the people that loan money. Like it, it adds costs throughout the economy but it removes a little bit of cost from the individual homeowner. It's spread mm-hmm. that around. So there are two primary features of the homestead exemption. The first is that it can help prevent the forced sale of your primary residence when you come into the demands of your creditors. If you go into <laughs> deep debt somewhere, they can no longer force you to sell that home. Now, obviously, the exception is your mortgage. Right. Uh, the mortgage is always going to be able to force you to sell your home yes. if you have a mortgage issue. Uh, mechanics liens, uh, property tax issues, there are a few things. But in general, uh, if you have a homestead exemption in your state, and every state is different, they'll have different statutes, different laws. Right. But if you have a homestead exemption, it will help you to not have your home sold uh, to pay off a creditor. So if you go into debt, medical debt, if you go into business debt, it can help protect your home. So that's one. 
The other feature is that it provides an exemption from the property taxes that you pay on your home in your state. And mm -hmm. we're going to break down five or six different types of property taxes that you end up paying, right. and it can help reduce the amount that you pay. So let's look at each of these. One, the for sale of a home. And then two, uh, providing an exemption from property taxes. So one, uh, pre preventing somebody from forcing you to sell your home. This is a big deal. Sure. Uh, this is what we would classify kind of in the finance world as asset protection. Mm -hmm. uh, you as an individual want to have a strategic plan for all of your finances, even for the worst case scenarios, uh, even for the scenario where if one day uh, you wake up with a, a horrendous medical problem that ends up costing you $500,000, $1 million, that you have the kind of insurance in place mm -hmm. to remove that risk from your personal finances. Right. But also what this does is it provides another layer of protection where even if you went into a million dollars of debt for a medical procedure, they couldn't force you to sell your home. So in order to pay off the debt. In order to pay yeah. off the debt, yeah. right. So so they wouldn't be able to, they could maybe get garnish your wages, they could maybe get money in other ways, but they couldn't force you to sell your home and therefore make you homeless. Yes. So, uh, so different states have different amounts. So some limit the amount of protection up to a certain dollar value. So mm -hmm. let's say maybe $100,000. Right. And if your home is worth 300000 but it only limits it to one hundred. Then, if they force you to sell the home, you mm -hmm. get to keep the first hundred, but the other two hundred then go yeah, to the creditor, right? Right. Some limit it up to the size of the property. They say, "Look, we'll say it's an unlimited value. You can keep all the value of your home as long as you have less than five acres of land, mm -hmm. less than ten acres of land, less right. than whatever." And and some get really specific. They give a broad protection, uh, and they say, "Look, we'll say it's unlimited." for farmers up to 160 acres, but in the city, it's up to half an acre. Mm -hmm. And so it's really unique. Each state yeah. is very different. You're gonna to wanna to look up what the homestead exemptions are in your state. We're gonna talk about some examples here in Texas to give you an idea. Uh, some list a dollar value that has a really broad protection, uh, but they increase that dollar value to protect specific things. So they may say $100,000 in general is protected, but if it's medical debt, 150,000 is protected. Mm -hmm. So there's just all sorts of unique things here. So uh, what does it mean if that dollar value is limited? Well, we've talked about this already, but just the idea that if you have $75,000 of protection under your homestead exemption and your home is worth 150, mm -hmm. that first 75, if, they, if a creditor were to force you to sell your home, you would get to keep the first 75, which would allow you to hopefully go find housing again. Right. And you think about this, the goal of these laws is, uh, it sounds like the state is being altruistic, trying to take care of the person, but really they don't want the person to end up on their payroll. Yeah. So they're spreading that risk around to other companies and other people that may be lending money or may have uh, be the ones that give out debt, the creditors, they're forcing them to take on a risk that they mm -hmm. wouldn't have had to take on otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's look at a few examples. Uh, let's start with Texas. So Texas has an unlimited dollar value of a homestead exemption up to 10 acres anywhere. Now mm -hmm. I say anywhere because in some states they'll they'll classify a rural area versus a city area and they'll change it up. Um, but think about that. Unlimited. That means that you could have a $20 million home yeah. and you could have a, a giant business that just went through a terrible, you know, economic issue and you owe, a, you know, $400 million and, and you know, just some crazy thing. 
but they but you could still be a multimillionaire and own a twenty thousand dollar home and they couldn't come touch your home. Twenty million, you mean? Yeah, twenty million. Thank yeah. you. Yes, yeah, twenty million dollars. Yeah. So uh, it's just interesting. It's unlimited, and that is a great way to protect some of your assets uh, long term. Is to realize that in Texas, if you keep your assets in your home, mm -hmm. uh, you are very well protected in that area because of these laws. Florida is also unlimited, but they're unlimited to half an acre in the city or up to 160 acres in rural areas. <laughs> so if you live in the city, it's unlimited value, but only on a home that's half an acre. So, I mean, the home value can only be so high at that point. So it's just really interesting. Uh, you look at states like Arizona, it's not unlimited. It's limited to the first 150,000. That's it. Right? That's all. There's yeah. nothing else. Uh, you look at something like um, Wyoming, and it's only $10,000. Wow. But... It doubles if you have a married couple. So, so you 20, go 20,000. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's really interesting. Uh, there's also states that have zero exemptions. Right. That literally, if you get into credit issues, uh, they can force you to sell your home pretty quickly. Uh, states with no exemptions include Pennsylvania, Maryland, New Jersey. So this all varies by state. I love that we live in Texas because it does a great job of protecting your home. Uh, California is really unique. It's kind of all over the place. It's a limit of $50,000 for a single person, but then it goes up to $75,000 for a couple, and then it goes up to $125,000 if you're 65 and older, and then if you're mentally disabled, it goes up to $150,000. I mean, it's just, it's kind of all over the place, yeah. but their goal is to protect the people right. that are the most vulnerable. Exactly. The older you that's get. That's really the heart behind that's it. That's the they're, heart behind it. They're trying to protect those people because, like you said, eventually they'll end up being taken care of by the state and that's yeah. something they don't want. So most of these laws that we see and these what look like benefits are really a way for the government and the state and the county to protect themselves from becoming liable for a group of people that might fall victims to different things that could happen, right? I mean, economic problems happen. If you lose your home, you lose the ability to take care of yourself. You lose the ability to, to keep a job, uh, transportation, so many things will be affected by that. So. It seems like a good thing, and I'm glad it's there. I do love the fact that in Texas, it's unlimited, though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's very nice. Yeah, it's strategic where if you are at a place in life where uh, you think you may be vulnerable to some financial issues, it might make sense to look at moving your primary residence to a state like Texas or Florida or one of these states that have a really high protection in this area mm -hmm. uh, just because if the value or the assets are inside of the home, they're protected. Another great place inside of Texas is that if your assets are in retirement accounts that are designated as retirement accounts, a, a Roth IRA, an individual retirement account arrangement, an IRA, a 401k, those assets also have strong protections inside of Texas. And so it's just good to know that you could have assets that are well protected in case of some kind of crazy emergency that you didn't expect. Yeah. That's very good. So that's the number one feature of homestead exemptions. The other one is the property tax exemption. Um, so when you go pay your property tax, especially here uh, in Texas where we are, you see that there are several entities you pay taxes to. It's not just one bill. It's actually five different uh, places that, that that tax is broken into, yeah. uh, that's sent to, I should say. So, uh, so I'm going to use a local example here. So this is a $250,000 home. The tax bill is $5,100 per year. Okay. But that breaks Which down. Which is about 2%. Yes. So every year you're paying 2% of your total value exactly. to the state. 
But then how does that break down? Yeah, so it breaks down with where the city of Keller gets a percentage, and all of these are based on a rate. So whatever the value of your property is, they're going to multiply that times the rate, and it's so many cents per $100 worth of valuation. So the city of Keller turns out to be $800 out of that $5,100. Tarrant County, the county tax is $500. Tarrant County College, right, it's $300. Tarrant County Hospital is $500. And then the biggest piece of the pie is a Keller Independent School District. So most of our taxes really go to the school. It's $3,000, which is more than 50%. It's about 60% yeah. of the total. 3000 to the school district, and then the other 2100 divided between the other four. What's important to understand is that the property tax exemption does not apply to the whole amount. It only applies to a portion of your tax. And that specifically goes to the school district. Yeah. And this is interesting because this is definitely going to vary by state. But when you get into the state of Texas, mm -hmm. it only limits the school district taxes. Yep. Uh, now, so that's still great. I mean, the home, a home exemption, you know, when I go to apply for this $25,000 home exemption, it reduces the amount that I pay towards school district taxes, which happens to be the highest portion of my taxes. Yep. Uh, again, you said 60%, 3,000 out of that 5,100. But this is, this is just really interesting. Think about all the places that you're being taxed by the city, by mm -hmm. the county that multiple cities are in. Uh, here, the county college. Now, yeah. I happen to have gone to this county college for a couple of years, yeah. and I loved how inexpensive it was. Yes. But the reason it was inexpensive is because every now that I'm a homeowner, <laughs> yeah, every property owner's paying. Yeah, in this scenario, for a $250,000 house, $300 a year. Well, you know, you get a thousand, ten thousand property owners and Tarrant County College is doing all right. Yeah. You know, they're not hurting. Well should uh, be anyway. Well they should be. <laughs> it all depends on good management. Uh but the county hospital, you know, uh, there are people that don't have insurance. Right. And that they don't have anywhere to go except for the county hospital who has to take care of them. And the way that the county hospital is able to take care of them, even though they don't have insurance or a solid way to pay for it, mm -hmm. is because $500 of this homeowner's taxes every year right. go to take care of people. Uh, and then you have the independent school district at 3000 Now, uh, we're going to get into how at some point, maybe when you reach age 65, you can freeze the school district taxes because the state begins to say, okay, uh, you no longer are going to have kids in school. And we want to limit your tax exposure as you get older, just so you, that you don't run out of money in retirement. And so they'll actually freeze the amount that you pay towards the school district. They'll freeze it in at when you reach age 65. So there's some cool things coming in this episode that you really want to be aware of that will help you reduce your taxes. So the homestead exemption will lower the taxable value of your home. So in this scenario, you have a $250,000 house. If the exemption is 25000 then you only pay taxes on $225,000 of the home's value. Now, here we talked about how the tax bill ended up being $5,000. Well, if you were to lower it uh, by that 25000 from the total value, 
it ends up lowering your bill by about $500. It's pretty significant. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at. Mm-mm. I will take $500. Sure. You know, anytime that you want to <laughs> you know, meet up and hand me a $500 bill, I know those don't exist, but hey, I would take one. <laughs> right? Okay. So uh, again, here in Texas, it's only on school district taxes, uh, but your state may be different. So just look into it. See right. what your state provides. Uh, your state might not have all five of those things. I mean, we live in Tarrant County. And we have Tarrant County Colleges. Not every county has a college. Uh, Maybe not every county has a county hospital. Mm -hmm. And so you might not have that tax burden where you live. You just need to be aware. Take a moment and look into it in your state and in your city. Right. So let's talk about how one would actually get a homestead exemption. So to do that here locally, you would just go to our county appraisal district's office or go on their website and pull out the application and fill it out. And then you'll have to turn it in. And there's no fee to actually apply for this. You just apply for it. And if you qualify, then that will be part of your benefit. First thing you do is you fill out the application with your county appraisal office. You choose the exemption you qualify for. Of course, you'll have to put in some basic information such as address, the people that are on the deed. So if it's owned by you and your spouse, both of you will have to put your basic contact information on there. But then you choose the exemption you qualify for. And there are more than just one type of exemption here. The first is a general residence homestead exemption. This is something that everyone who has a home and lives in it full-time, this is their primary home, they will qualify for this homestead exemption. There's also age 65 or older exemption. So if you turn 65, there are certain benefits to applying for these type of exemptions. One is that you'll get an exemption of $10,000 from school taxes. On top of the 25 that we get for the homestead, you get an additional 10,000 for great. the same area. In so now instead of 25, you, right. yeah, you get 35. So that's good. Additionally, the school taxes are frozen at a dollar amount and the percentage of the current taxes for the home. So whatever you're paying when you turn 65, you can freeze those taxes for the school district so that that specific amount does not go up, yeah. which is a large portion. Well, yeah. So it'll be a considerable savings over the years. Your city taxes may continue to go up, your county college taxes, yep. your hospital taxes, but not your, your school. school taxes yeah. will not. That's that's really, that's great information. If you're 65 or older or you know someone 65 or older, <laughs> make sure that they have filled this out again yeah. and taken advantage of this because the government needs to know, yeah. hey, it's time to freeze those taxes. The heart behind this is that If someone turns 65, more than likely they're looking at retirement. They more than likely will have a fixed income. And if they do so, if their taxes continue to rise, pretty soon they'll be forced out of that home. They won't be able to pay the taxes and they'll lose the home. So this is where the state says, hey, let's protect those people from losing their homes uh, by freezing those. And of course, everybody else will make up the difference. But in an aging population, uh, this could be a real problem in certain areas. So uh, as long as we keep having children, keep having new kids, right, yeah. uh, it'll be fine. But in some states I know, in some specific counties, this could be a problem if you have older people living in those areas and it begins to kind of shift where there's more older people that are over 65 than younger people moving in. Yeah, well, and this is interesting just in the demographics across the United States is we are getting to the point where we are going to have a larger and larger older population mm-hmm. And less, there's less children. People are having less children. So we're going to have a smaller, younger population that is paying taxes to support the people that are in retirement. Now, the people in retirement have paid taxes their entire life. But if they keep raising the amount of benefits that people receive without more people paying into taxes, there could be issues. So just be aware. I I don't remember the statistics, but I think in the next so many years, 
one third of all people in the U.S. could be uh, in their retirement age, which is massive. Mm-hmm. Um, and and God bless every single person, 65 and older, 65 and younger. But it's interesting to know these demographic changes yeah. because we need to be aware of that for tax purposes and for benefits purposes. I think it's going to have some significant implications. Of course, that's for another topic. We yeah. did touch on some of this in our uh, when we talked about Social Security yep. and how this one factor uh, can impact so many different things. A few more things that you can apply for as far as exemptions is if you're a disabled person or disabled veteran, also a surviving spouse of a disabled veteran or surviving spouse of a member of the armed forces that was killed in action. And last, a surviving spouse of a first responder who was killed while on duty. Now, in some states, homestead protection is automatic. In many states, however, homeowners receive the protections of the law only if they file a claim for homestead exemption with the state. So just make sure that you uh, know which one you have to do. If it's automatic, you already have it on your property tax statement. You'll know if you have it or don't uh, just by checking that. And if you don't, then you'll have to apply. Yeah, I remember when Ashley and I bought our home and we purchased in November and you usually apply for the homestead exemption on January 1st, mm-hmm. and it has to be in by April 30th. Right. And so our realtor said, hey, take this form, you know, put it on your fridge. Don't forget, make a reminder. As soon as January 1st rolls around, fill it out and send it in. And some states allow you to do it electronically. Sometimes you still have to fill it out by hand and mail it in. But either way, between January 1st and April 30th, get it filled out, get it sent in, and you only have to do it once for your residents. Some states actually have you do it every year. Very interesting. Every state is a little bit different. But here in Texas, you fill it out once and you send it in and they give you that homestead exemption and you'll see it marked on your taxes so you know it's in force. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that when you, if you do have a home, one of the things that you become very aware of very early on of owning a home is that property value and taxes continue to increase. And especially over the last few years, we've seen such an increase in the value of homes that tax rate has gone higher. And of course, the value of the homes has gone higher. So the appraisal home value of a a homeowner who qualifies his or her homestead for exemptions in the preceding and the current year may not increase more than 10%. This is a benefit that we get to enjoy here in Texas because my property value has gone up significantly since I bought it. I've been in the South for 10 years. It's gone up about 80% in value. The good thing is though, is that even though the value is higher, market value is higher, the rate that they can increase it every year has been 10%. Well, we've seen property tax values raise really fast here in Texas over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, So obviously in 2009, you have the Great Recession. Uh, All home values are going down dramatically. Mm -hmm. But then slowly but surely over time for the next 10 years, uh, they start to tick up. And then 2012, 2013, 2014, in 2015, it spikes. We yep. saw home values go up 30%. Tons right. of people were moving into the area. Tons of homes were, they weren't undervalued the year before, mm-hmm. but because of the demand, uh, there was a high demand. There were bidding wars. Yes. And so you could have a home that was worth $150,000. And five years later, it's worth over 200000 oh, yeah, 50 grand in, in five years. I mean, really, I, I mean, I saw 80 grand increases I, you know, from 150. If you had a $200,000, $300,000 house, it was going up even faster. And so it was really interesting to see that happen. But the homestead exemption said, even though your value may go up 20% one year, 
they can only raise your taxes by 10%. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Uh, it is, it's very interesting to see what the appraised value is versus the market value yep. and be aware of that as you're going through this process. Uh, I, I think that's good. I think taxes in general shouldn't be able to just be massively uh, laid on every single year. So I think that 10% maximum limit is good. In fact, when I think about taxes as a whole, the fact that we don't often feel the taxes that mm. we're paying. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about this, uh, a lot of times when you get a mortgage or you buy a home, you end up paying your taxes through escrow. And so you just pay a once a month payment and that payment goes towards, you know, your principal, the amount you're paying towards the home, the interest you're paying towards the loan right. and your taxes and your insurance. But you have one large payment that you just send every month to the bank. Mm. Yeah but you don't actually think about how much is going towards taxes. Right. Uh, in this scenario earlier, a $250,000 home is paying $5,000 in taxes a year. Mm -hmm. uh, now, with your employer, they usually take your taxes out before you even get your paycheck, so you don't feel it as much. Right. Uh, now, most federal income taxes for most people is somewhere between 12 to 25%, but you don't feel that that money going out of your paycheck, right. the same with Social Security and Medicare. That's around 15% of your income. Well, it's 15.3. It is. It's flat. 15.3. Uh, sometimes your employer pays a little bit, but if they're paying it, that means they're also paying you less, so they can pay that tax. Still costing so you're you. still, it's still costing you. Uh, we pay a sales tax here in Texas. It's 8.25% of everything that you buy. Uh, some groceries are excluded, but a gasoline tax, mm. which is ranges by state from 10 to 20%. So when you add up this $5,000 property tax, you look at maybe $100,000 income, which is a great income. Let's say you make $100,000 a year. You take this $5,000 in property tax, you take maybe $10,000, $15,000 in federal income, $15,000 in Social Security and Medicare, uh, for maybe three, four, five grand in sales tax, one to two grand in gasoline tax. And that would also apply when you, you know, go to the airport and when you rent a car, there's all these little taxes. You could easily, easily end up paying $40,000 in taxes mm -hmm. across a year but you don't even notice it right. because you don't have to physically write a check. You don't have to show up and hand the government a, in this case, a suitcase full of cash, <laughs> $40,000. That's a luxury vehicle every year that you're buying the government. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, uh, it now this is a $100,000 income scenario if we're talking about this person, but I mean, that's, that is a lot. Imagine that you had to show up and hand $40,000 of cash to the government. And if you had to do that on November 1st every year, which is the day before election day, typically it's November <laughs> 2nd, and it, you know, it's always between November 2nd and November 8th. Imagine if November 1st was tax day and you had to do it in cash for all of your taxes. We'd have more people voting. We'd have way <laughs> more people voting and we'd be way more serious about our taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, people would be looking to see that the government is actually using the money well. It would change some things. Uh, 40%. That's just, that is incredible to me, but you don't feel it because you look, Oh, my federal income tax was only 15% this year. Yeah. My social security, I didn't even notice it because it was taken out before I got paid. It was just all these little things yeah. 
they add up. Okay, that was a, that was a side ramp, yep. uh, but I just think it's interesting when you when you look at these issues. Yeah, I think it's a good segue though into the fact that we all have to pay taxes, and property taxes can be pretty significant depending on which state you live in. In some states, it's a lot lower than it is here in Texas. In some states, it's higher than it is in Texas. So wherever you're from, the question then comes as you think about this homestead exemption and property taxes: Should you contest your property taxes? when they get appraised at least once every year, but sometimes it's somewhere between one and three years. But here in Texas, I know every year, they appraise our, our value of our homes. And then we get a statement that says, hey, here's what it was, here's what it's going to be, this is how much it's increased. And then you have an option, you have a, about 30 to 60 days to either contest it, uh, or appeal it, or find a way to, to say, hey, I agree with it, or I don't agree with it. Um, and should you do that? Yeah. Of course you should. Every Nobody year. Nobody likes paying more taxes than they should. So we want to talk just briefly about how would you go about that? What are some of your options and why should you? Well, first of all, the reason you should do it is to realize that in most counties, the appraisal district uses a criteria for assessing the value of your property. And most of that is done through what they call a mass appraisal. The appraisal district classifies properties according to a variety of factors, such as size, the use of your home, and the construction type. They also use data from recent property sales. The appraisal district appraises the value of, of a typical property um, for each class of homes. Uh, and they also take into account differences such as age or location. But when they do it, they're really looking at a mass group of homes, and they're plugging these numbers in and trying to pull these what we call comps, uh, comparable properties to compare to one another. Uh, and when they do that, they come up with a certain value. Now, Chances are your house, even if there's another house in the neighborhood that's just like yours, it's not identical to yours. It might have some slight differences. Maybe you have a three-car garage and maybe they have a two-car garage or vice versa. Or maybe you've had some improvements on your home over the last few years. So the value of your home will be or should be appraised differently. Sometimes the value of some homes will go up while others don't from a physical standpoint. They didn't do any improvements. They didn't do anything extra. But because those other houses have gone up in value and now have sold... The appraisal district would look at that and say, okay, the value of these homes now is higher per square foot on all of that. So it's always a good idea to contest your property taxes because you want to make sure that your house is really looked at individually, that it's not being lumped into other houses that may or may not fully describe and accurately value your home. Right. Yeah, this is interesting because the government is the one that is going to appraise the value of your home and determine how much taxes to charge you. Yeah, it's a little conflict of interest there. Yeah, because they're the ones receiving the money. So should you contest it? Uh, you should take a look at it and make sure that it makes sense. But I'm going to say 95% of the time, yeah. maybe 99% of the time, it's going to make sense because the government has a conflict of interest, a vested interest in causing you to pay more taxes. Of course. And so when they do their evaluation, uh, it's hard to say that it's unbiased. Mm. Uh, and when you go out and do the evaluation, you can talk to a realtor, get your own comparative analysis of your home. You also know, uh, what's really going on with your home because when they look at it, they don't even, they don't come to your home. They don't knock on your door. They don't spend time actually looking at your house. What if your fence is knocked down? You've got a hole in your roof. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a massive, um, I don't know, factory on the other side of your home that causes your home value to go down in some right. way, or there's right. an easement that cuts you know through your property in some way. Flood zones. Flood all kinds zones. Of there's all sorts of things that they may not take into account. 
And so if you go make a case and say, look, you think my home is valued at, and you'll go back to the old case we just used, you think it's valued at $250,000 because of the size of it, but really it needs about $50,000 of updates and repairs. So it's only worth 200,000 mm-hmm. and the government is going to try to make you pay taxes on 250. Right. But if you can make a good case, take some pictures, bring some comparable uh, homes that have the same types of issues through a realtor, now you can contest it and you can lower your tax bill. And I absolutely recommend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The least that you should do is look at the values of the homes in your neighborhood. Look at homes that are within a vicinity of your neighborhood and see what the value of theirs is. And then also, any realtor is happy to do this for you. If you have some friends uh, you know, and family that, that are realtors, they can pull sales comparison comps so you can compare side by side how is mine compared to theirs. And if their values are lower than yours, then you have a case to be able to go before either an appeal court and get it reversed, or you can go into the appraisal district uh, office and say, hey, I think you guys missed it here, and you can have a conversation with them. Uh, There are several ways you can do this. We're actually going to talk about that. But first, let's talk about what's the common approach that appraisal district uses in appraising property value. So the three common approaches are the sales comparison, the income approach, and the cost approach. So let's look at the sales comparison or the market approach first. And it values it based on the sale of similar properties. Uh, It compares the property being appraised to other properties in the area that have recently been sold. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of adjusts based on square footage and location. Uh, But they try to look at comparable market prices. Uh, The income approach is based on income and expense data. This is based on what the assessor believes an investor would pay right now for the future profit from the property. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Uh, There's also the cost approach. The cost approach is based on what it would cost to replace the building or the improvements uh, with one of equal utility. Because you're going to have a land value, but then you improve the land by building on it. Mm -hmm. So it's saying, what would it cost to build back on this land a structure of equal utility of the one that's currently there? Uh, The depreciation is applied, and then the estimate is added to the land value. So the value of the land is going to be a baseline, and then any improvements is going to be built on top of that, and that would be called the cost approach. Mm-hmm. Which is a good thing that you just brought up, is that there are two different values that you'll see on your property tax statement. One is for the actual dwelling place, the physical building, and the other will be the land. So sometimes your land will go up, and sometimes your property value will go up. But they are two separate things, yep. um, and just know that those two are going to be added together to determine your full uh, property value. So should you contest your property value? Yes, and here's why. The assessor uses a mass appraisal method to value property, so errors are going to be somewhat common. Uh, Your house also may have enough difference in size and build that the comparable comps that they use are not properly reflecting the value of your own personal property. I know that me personally, I also found that the assessor often inflates the value. Uh, I've done this several times where I've appealed my property value, and I had to sit in front of a three kind of a three panel judges. They're just citizens that volunteer for this job. Yeah, they're not real judges. They're no, just they're other not. people like you from the city. Exactly, right. and so they're they're somewhat unbiased because they don't work for the city. They don't get a yeah. kickback. Hopefully, they don't get a kickback right. for it. The assessor, they're going to have a representative there, and you're going to be there. And yeah. He comes with comps. You come with comps. And what I found is the comps they use are inflated. And of course, the comps I use are deflated. I look for the lowest ones. They look for the highest ones. 
But there's that middle ground where you're going to be able to negotiate it. But I have found that they inflate the value, especially in, the, in a good housing market, because it's kind of anticipated that the value is going to go up anyway, so they might as well get more out of you sooner. And I disagree with that. I, I, when I did it and I saw this, I said, man, I understand. Let's, let's just be clear. Let's not add another 5% because you think in the next 10 months, the property is going to go up 10%. We'll, we'll figure it out then. But now, right now, based on the values, that's what I want to pay. And so I was able to lower the value based on my comps and because this inflated price was part of the, the cost or yeah. part of their assessment and it, it was judged that that wasn't right. Yeah. So. so the government is going to have their appraiser, but just like you said, it's done on mass appraisals. Mm -hmm. And so it's really not specific to your home. It's not, it's not the highest quality metric to really determine a home's value because it's just done on mass. They literally have thousands of homes right. they have to appraise. Right. So they get a computer program, they plug in numbers and they hit go. And there may be a little bit more to it than that. But if you are going to do it, you're going to go talk to a local realtor. You're going to look at local houses that you know of, and you're going to do a very specific analysis. Mm -hmm. And so yours may come in lower. Theirs may come in higher. You're now standing or seated in front of three local citizens who all live in the same city, so they don't want to pay extra taxes. That's right. So they may actually lean towards you know wanting to take care of the local citizenry it depends on who's on that board well they have Hopefully to be they neutral, have no bias but, but right still they're not but, going to be on the city yeah. side or the state side if you can if you can force yourself to cry in that meeting though no I'm <laughs> <laughs> but but i mean honestly they'll come in high you'll come in a little low and you'll find something that's fair yep. and is appropriate because hey i'm not advocating that we don't pay taxes that would be tax evasion right but i do want to avoid paying unnecessary taxes right. That's and you tax want the proper value it's for very your home. legal. Right. You want the proper value and, and you want to pay the appropriate amount of taxes. Nothing more, uh, nothing less. Sometimes I want to pay less anyway, but but you got to pay what's right. Right. So let's just touch on one more thing. So how do you contest if you look at your property value and you know, okay, it's gone up again. Should I contest? Uh, there are three ways you could do it. One, you can go in person to the county office, the county appraisal office uh, in your city and present your case. You can just bring your statement and just say, hey, I think this is wrong. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. They're going to say, well, what do you think it's worth? And you're just going to go back and forth like you would you know, negotiate at a flea market. And sooner or later, they're going to tell you this is the bottom line that we can go. But I found with the people that I've talked to that about 80% of people get it lowered at least a little bit. Okay, Unless the market is just crazy and it's already lower than it should be, they're going to negotiate something. So I think that's the easiest, the fastest way to do it, something that doesn't cost you anything, maybe a couple hours of your day. Another one is to file a property tax appeal. And this is the one that we mentioned where there's a three-person panel uh, who will make that decision. And you'll have to come prepare and they'll give you directions on, on how to bring all the documents you'll need to bring. By the way, when you get your tax statement, there's a form included in that. It's an information sheet that walks you through all of that in case you choose to go that route. And then third, you could use a company to appeal the value of your property. And now they charge a percentage and usually it's between 40 to 50% of the amount they save you. So let's say, for instance, your property taxes have gone up $1,000 and now they're able to save you $500 from that, where they're going to take 40 to 50% of that. So if somewhere between $200 and $250, right. it's going to cost you to lower that by more than $500. Yeah. So it's a benefit, but they're, they're doing the work for you. So yes. you pay them a little fee, but you are paying lower taxes. So if mm -hmm. you don't have time to do it yourself... Hire one of these companies. Yes. Uh, if they can't save you any money, they can't charge you anything. No, they don't charge you anything um, if they don't. But
but it's also, it's really not too hard to do it yourself. So mm. we encourage you to go do it yourself. One, two, three years, learn the process, get comfortable with it. It takes a little bit of time, but every year here in Texas, they send you a blue piece of paper with all the information on it. You read it and then you can go down to the office and kind of hash it out a little bit. It's really not hard. It's not, it's not intense. Mm -hmm. It's a gentle conversation around the value of what your home is and who knows your home's value better than you. If you spend a little bit of time doing research on it. That's true. Well, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Please go rate it five stars in the uh, Apple podcast uh, universe, or if you're on Google or Android, go ahead and add a heart or a like or a comment, whatever your podcast platform is. uh, We'd appreciate a rating, a review. If you'd add a nice comment, we would love that. Please take a minute and hit the share button and send this episode to somebody that you know of that is a new homeowner Mm -hmm. or is about to purchase a home or is in that place of looking at homes. They need to be aware. Uh, Go ahead and follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Find Getting Money Right or Leo Sabo and David Thompson. Uh, Check out Leo's website, leosabo.com. It's got incredible resources, tools, helpful content. You can come over to stewardshippastors.com. Look at what it takes to build a stewardship ministry inside of your church to help people with their finances, help get people armed with good information uh, from a biblical perspective on handling money. And soon the book Jesus on Money will be coming out. So look at the Jesus on Money page. I recommend you pre-order it, probably pre-order five copies to a hundred copies somewhere in there. (laughs) And a great deal right now at the pre-order menu. And then uh, just check out the videos and articles that we've got. We love spending time with you on Getting Money Right. Thank you so much for being with us. And we look forward to having you next time so that together we we can can keep keep getting getting money money right. right. So it's always a good idea to contest your property taxes because you want to make sure that your house is really looked at individually, that it's not being lumped into other houses that may or may not fully describe and accurately value your home.